I'm Adam Coleman, inviting you to the fifth season of The Cosmic Library from LitHub. This season, we go on our tiniest reading adventure yet, into short stories in the U.S. But this too turns out to be almost all-encompassing. I think short stories are essentially brief encounters with felt life. That's Oxford literary scholar Andrew Kahn, who gives us a deep history of the short story. And we hear from The New Yorker's Deborah Treisman, who explains her work as an editor of short fiction. You know, if you are melding with another person, you don't turn that person into you, but you get to know the ins and outs of that person. So, and it's, it's sort of like that. I always feel involved with the stories. We bounce around between the history and current life of short stories with the novelist Justin Taylor. The nice thing about it going out of fashion is that it really frees you up to relate to it in a different way. This being the Cosmic Library, we make sure to go way beyond U.S. short stories, too. Here's the Washington Post critic, Becca Rothfeld. A lot of Kafka short stories, I think, gesture at or describe um, sort of nightmarish geographies or architectures. And the actor Max Gordon Moore reminds us just how wild short stories can be. With a reading in its entirety of Wakefield, the intensely strange, classic Nathaniel Hawthorne story. He had contrived, or rather he had happened, to dissever himself from the world, to vanish. Get ready for all that and more in a season about short stories, small windows into vast universes. It's season five of The Cosmic Library, available soon wherever you go for podcasts. This is The Literary Life. I'm Mitchell Kaplan. I've owned books and books and been a bookseller for over 35 years. What you're about to hear are conversations about all things literary, with writers, readers, publishers, old friends, new friends, and anyone who might wander into our store with an interesting story to tell about their connection to books, reading, or writing. These will be informal, over-the-backyard-fence kind of conversations, the kind I and booksellers everywhere have each and every day. Uh, my guest today on The Literary Life is Curtis Sittenfeld. Curtis is the author of many, many different novels uh, that many of you are very familiar with. But she's also written essays. Um, she, her work has also appeared on This American Life. Uh, she's one of the great literary presences that we have. Uh, and as a bookseller, I can tell you that she's a favorite of booksellers all across America because the, so welcome Curtis. <laughs> Sorry, I feel like I, I, start, I started cooing with delight before I was supposed to. Well, no, Sorry. no, that's good. I'm glad. I'm glad that I, I'm glad that I did that. Like I uh, got you to coo, but the new book is Rodham, a novel. And boy, did I love this novel for a lot of reasons that we'll talk about. But first of all, Curtis, I need to thank you on behalf of booksellers everywhere. You are such a proponent of independent bookselling. Oh. I can't thank you enough. Thank you. Thank you. No, it's an honor. It's an honor to be on the podcast. Thank you. Tell me what life has been like for you during this lockdown. So I live in Minneapolis, um, which, you know, is not... I, I live in a house. It's not, um, you know, super densely populated. Um, and so, so we've always been able to go outside. It's never been a kind of lockdown situation, even though, you know, things have been closed, but, um, you know, it's, it, I think it's sort of strange 
here, like in most places, I think it's not comparable to New York or LA, just in terms of the the density or, um, you know, the, the sort of um, statistics, like the high rates of sickness. What's it been like publishing a book into the pandemic? That must be, that was something you didn't plan for, I'm sure. <laughs> I did not plan for it. I mean, it's strange. I, I really feel for writers who are either having their first book come out or even like it could be a person's you know, third or fourth book, but their publisher and they were planning to have it be their breakthrough and they were going to go to 40 cities. And, you know, I think that that is professionally devastating to have that canceled. I, I mean, I don't, I do not feel particularly sorry for myself, honestly. I mean, it just, like, I, I've written books about different topics and I think, you know, they, different books attract more and less attention, but this one, because it's related to Hillary Rodham, you know, did generate a, a relatively higher amount of interest, which, you know, so it's, it didn't, it, it actually has not gotten lost, I think, in the shuffle. So it's, I don't, I don't feel like I personally can complain, but of course, this obviously has been a really challenging time for independent, you know, bookstores and for many writers themselves. Well, what I'm hearing, even from, even from uh, authors like yourself, who, who, whose books garner attention, when you don't have those advocates on the front line in stores, literally putting the book in someone's hand, every writer is at a disadvantage at that point, I think. Oh, yeah. I mean, I do. I, I feel like I, I don't have to tell you about the, the power of hand selling, which is not, not happening now, but... Um, Isn't it wild? I think it's really wild that how adaptive we are, really. I mean, the fact, I mean, I don't think I've used Zoom in my life. I never did prior to two months ago. I didn't really know what it was, actually. But we are so adaptive that we've been able to transform the way we do media, you know, yeah. overnight, just about. Yeah, no, it is true. I, I, it's, it's actually been interesting where... I feel like there are already best practices among booksellers for virtual events and, you know, like which software they use and right. how, how they sort of communicate, like how the audience communicates with the, the host who communicates with the, the moderator. Like it is an right. art. You know, I first met you through your book prep and then you went on to write The Man of My Dreams, American Wife, Sisterland, Eligible, uh, You Think It, I'll Say It. And the one thing that always seemed to strike me, which is why you writing Rodham makes perfect sense to me, is that all of your books are about real people that you then humanize in one way or another. Uh, would you, would you characterize you. your work that way? Um, I mean, so I definitely now, somewhat to my own surprise, have done done this thing a few times where I sort of borrow an existing story. You know, American Wife, which came out to my own astonishment 12 years ago, is a, a fictionalized retelling of the life of Laura Bush. Um, and then, uh, you know, Eligible is a modern retelling of Pride and Prejudice. So I definitely do have this fondness for reimagining stories that exist and then of my other books i think they they are very much grounded in reality and the characters in them are supposed to be people that you know you could work with or you could live on a street with or yeah they they are um primarily realistic 
So you took on Rodham, and um, it begs the question, why? (laughs) Why did you decide to take on Hillary and fictionalize her life using so much of the reality of her life as well? So I, I think there's a couple factors that influenced me and sort of intersected. And the first was that in early 2016, well before the election, an editor at Esquire magazine reached out and asked if I'd like to write a short story from her perspective as she was accepting the Democratic nomination for president. Um, And I had, in the past, I had turned down invitations to write essays about Hillary because I didn't think I had anything new to say. But writing fiction flipped the, the underlying question and it wasn't, Um, you know, what do the American people think of Hillary, but what does Hillary think of the American people? So that, it was a very interesting experience for me, you know, writing in the first person. So like, I put on my pantsuit or, I mean, hopefully it's not that simple. I was going to ask you, what kind of channeling did you have to do? I know, I know. I mean, I've I've joked to people that I feel like I put on a blonde wig and a pantsuit like every morning for for three years, but I actually mean that, um, like metaphorically and not literally. Um, so, so there, I had that experience, you know, it, it was an interesting experience. I'm a Democrat. I, I hoped she would win. I thought she would win, you know, the, the election happened. And after the election, which was, you know, devastating to me, and I feel like still, still is devastating. Um, I was sort of found myself realizing more than once that school children who knew that Hillary had run for president, in many cases, did not know that Bill Clinton existed. And this was kind of a mind-blowing fact to me and made me wonder if the outcome of the election would have been different if adults also didn't see Hillary and Bill as so tightly connected. And so I think, to some extent, it was you know, it was the, the Esquire short story, plus the outcome of the election, plus like this realization of, you know, <laughs> there are people walking around in this country who do not know that, that Bill Clinton, you know, was president, is married to Hillary, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Well, the structure of the novel is such, and I, and I don't want to give away any spoilers at all, but the structure of it is that, you know, I think you follow, and I, you know, I have not read a lot of biographies of them, although I did read Bill's book, his first book. Um, so it seems like the first part of it, when they're together, follows factually at least the roads they travel down. And then you get to a point, and I don't think this is a spoiler, uh, but you get to a point where she refuses, I think it's his third marriage proposal, and that's when they diver- that's when the roads diverge. Yes, I think that's, that's a, a perfect <clears throat> summary that in, in real life, they both talk about the fact that she turned down his first two marriage proposals before accepting the third one. And I, you know, in, in my creative imagined way, have her also turn down the third one. And then, you know, they, and, but, but up to that point, so you're right that I did, research and you know it starts at Yale Law School and then meeting and falling in love and I should say that even then it's fictionalized in that um, 
you know, like it's it's much more detailed, I guess you could say, you know, in, yeah, in I mean they didn't they didn't write so explicitly about their sexual escapades while they were in uh and it, it was fascinating. I mean, because it was so you, you know, you you did something that was so believable. I mean it it flowed so naturally from the way they are, I think. This is a love story. The whole premise about saying no to marrying him, like it's so much more interesting if she feels torn instead of if she just walks away. And it's much more plausible for her to feel torn if, you know, they're they're madly in love. You know, they, they're physically attracted to each other. They find each other super interesting. And um, it seemed... It seemed like natural and organic to include that side of things. And, and almost, I would say, you know, the reason that novels exist as opposed to um, you know, speech or something like it's like like novels give us that very private access to people that that often isn't available non-fictionally. Well, you know what you did, which I thought was really brilliant, is that you pierced the uh, shield of celebrity because basically you knew that they were celebrities but you humanized them in a way that you know our, our general culture doesn't the way we know them isn't true either yeah <laughs> yeah know, that's you know actually I mean? that's a really profound and accurate thing to say where i i feel like you know there is sometimes this temptation to pretend that public figures only exist when they're in front of us you know they like a presidential candidate only exists when they're you know on stage at a debate or when we're seeing footage of them you know shake hands at a diner in new hampshire or something but they exist 24 hours a day and you know they have lots of their own little quirks and habits and and yeah i i do there is something really poignant to me about you know, looking at photos from the 1970s of Hillary and Bill. And, and that's, you know, the, the image on the front of the book is young Hillary, who I think is so like pretty and, you know, full of promise and has this very intelligent look on her face, which I, I just think it's like a really lovely image. So if this makes you feel any better, to me, you know, I've had, as a bookseller, I've had numerous interactions with both of them. And they have not been long interactions, but, you know, we presented Bill for his very first book when he came. Uh, and actually, we were his last stop before he had his heart attack. And like 4,000 people came out. Oh, wow. Wow. Could only accommodate like 2,000. Oh, my goodness. But, but, and I saw him in such a way that the seductive nature that you describe him was exactly the way I saw it. And the same with Hillary. I presented her with a number of different books. I've always liked her. She's always been much more warm and much more sort of like droll sense of humor than, than, than people think of her as. Unlike you, I've never met either of them, but really? wow. yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I did, I certainly did research and I, people say what you're saying about both. Like people say he has this incredible <clears throat> charisma and even somebody who maybe is planning not to like him melts <laughs> in his presence. I've, I've certainly heard anecdotes about that. And similarly, that when you interact with her, that she is, you know, very like warm, very prepared, a, an excellent listener. 
you know, like much, yeah, yeah, that, that sort of a lot of the negative things that people might be tempted to say about her are not really. Well, you've got that great scene of, you know, her caring about that woman who had breast cancer, right, in Iowa. And uh, she was always looking out for her. And I remember her doing a book signing. And, you know, I mean, there were hundreds and hundreds of people, you know, standing in line. And yet she would spend five minutes with somebody who's describing something bad that was happening in his or her life. And so she was very empathetic that way. I think his MO was that he knew how to draw you in. Do you know what I mean? He would like take you and tell you an intimate story. And you would think you were the only one he was telling that to. You you think that you alone have a very, very special connection with Bill. Yeah, yeah no, it's, it was really, really interesting. The other thing that rang so true for me is that I went to law school, and you wouldn't know this about me, but I went to law school in the 70s. And I went to a very politically correct law school in D.C. It was called Antioch. And a lot of the people that you're writing about who were in their milieu, they're older than I am. But they're people I recognized from being in that period. Um, And I just found it to be fascinating the way you were able as someone, you know, 20 years younger than all of them, to be able to, 30 years younger, to be able to just tap right into it. So the level of empathy that you have as a writer is quite profound. Thank you. That's lovely. Thank you so much. So uh, let's talk about process a little bit. You read a lot about her, but I also read that you have a brother. You're from Cincinnati originally, and you have a brother who's very involved in politics, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So my brother is, I, I'm one of four siblings and my brother is nine years younger than I am. And he's in his third term as a member of the Cincinnati city council. <clears throat> and so he has this very, um, you know, comprehensive familiarity with the nitty gritty ways that that campaigns are constructed. And um, so I would, I would very frequently text him and I, it would be everything from like, I would say, you know, who on a Senator's staff calls the Senator by their first name, or like if you're making um, a, an announcement that you're running for office, what's the, what are the first few staff members you've already hired before you announce? And my brother was super, super helpful. Cause it was, it was almost like I once heard, um, the writer Mona Simpson, who I really admire, I once heard her say that she writes up to the point where she knows what information she's missing. And so I could kind of write a sentence and think, okay, I need to, you know, like, like I need to know who would be hired for a campaign first. And then, and then I could text my brother and, um, and sometimes he didn't know things, but he knew who knew them. Like sometimes I had you know, somewhat obscure questions about finance laws and fundraising. And, and I also, I have two um, close friends who are law professors, two women who both live in St. Louis, Missouri, where I live for quite a while. And, and I also, I ask them a ton of questions about, you know, sort of being a law professor, going to law school, like, you know, details about being, being in the classroom as a student, being in the classroom um, as a as a teacher, the language that's used, being in a courtroom, and they were incredibly generous and helpful. Yeah, it all, it all paid off. What do you think 
are the, what can fiction do that straight biography can't do in your mind? Well, I mean, I think that, I don't know if this is fair or not to say this, but I think that people have the idea that a biography or certainly an autobiography you know, is, has a particular point of view or is making an argument, whereas fiction is almost just more like examining the texture of, of life and, you know, people's personalities. And it doesn't, it doesn't have as much of an agenda, I think, because I, I even feel like, you know, sometimes people will almost say, well, what's the message of of Rodham or one of my other books. And I'll think like, if it had a message, I, I would have I would have written one paragraph. Right, um, right. Yeah. No, that's a great point. And, and I noticed that even in some of the reviews I read, some of the reviews, people reviewed it as if it was biography. It was yeah. Really yeah. They, they reviewed it as if you were like making a statement about Hillary. And yeah, or in, in some cases, people almost, it's almost like, and I'm okay with this, but I think it's like, I think it's curious. It's almost as if they're using it as a point of departure to talk about Hillary's record, forgetting right. that, that she, she was like, had no involvement in this book, you know, no right. control over it. It's, it is this creative, you know, yeah. world. You've, you've really written Curtis something that's a tour de force, something that is unique. I don't know of another book like it. And I had such a pleasurable experience reading it. It was cathartic. It was, it was human. You know, you identify and you don't identify. You did everything that a that a really great novel does. Thank uh, you. Oh my goodness. Thank I want you. To thank you for it. And I also, you know, I told you how you are such a such an inspiration to so many booksellers. But you do the same thing for writers. You're very generous in terms of what you do for other writers. Who are some of the writers that that you're championing this, these days? People that that you're reading, new writers. Uh... Yeah, well, I just I just got a copy of um, I can even I got a copy of Fairest by Meredith. I'm not sure how to say her last name. Is it Toulousan? I'm not positive. It's T A L U S A N. Um, I there are two. I, I feel like as long as as we're having this conversation, two Miami writers that I love. Um, a close friend of mine that I went to to the Iowa Writers Workshop with, Susanna Daniel. I love oh, her novels, yeah. Stiltsville and Sea Creatures. Um, I love Janine Capo Cruset. Oh, um, sure. She's like the a triple threat. Like I love her story collection. I love her essays. Um, yeah, her, her yeah her her novel, and I love her essays. Which I, it's I, my time among the whites is the yeah, the, the essay brilliant. which is. It, it's very timely now, especially, but she's, yeah. I feel like she's a phenomenal writer and thinker and yeah. So those are, those are. She's living in, I think she's living in the Midwest too. I think she's I think she lives in Nebraska. Yeah. 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 I've always, I've always thought it'd be fun. I mean, everyone knows who he is, but to read um, the Colson Whitehead book, Sag Harbor. Like I Sag think, Harbor, I think yeah. it's like a summer read. And so I'm, <laughs> I'm planning, even though I'm not sure how summery this summer will be, but I'm planning to read that. And is there a writing group in Minnesota? I mean, are there other friends and people that, is there a literary community? I mean, there is a literary community. Yeah, there's a huge literary community. I mean, I've met, I've met a bunch of different, right? Like I've met, you know, nonfiction, fiction. Um, the, the musician Dessa, I don't know if you know who she is, but she wrote an essay. She's, she was part of a, 
rap collective. And then she also um, is, uh, you know, like sort of a artist. And she wrote this essay collection called My Own Devices. It's partly about, you know, traveling with other musicians over time and the creative life. And she's, she's just a really interesting person who again goes by dessa no no surname i think or at least for on her on her book no surname but listen thanks curtis thanks for all of this it was thank real. you thank you so much yeah and I, I look forward to seeing you in person but in the meantime i look forward to, yeah, to my yeah. virtual event with books and books thank you yeah, you're doing it with gia right you're yes which is such a thrill yeah i'm such yeah, a fan of a lot of fun. Yeah. curtis sittenfeld thank you for being on the literary life the new book is rodham a novel and you can get it from your indie bookseller or from booksandbooks.com or from bookshop.org. Thank you, and uh, we'll see you soon. Thank you so much. <laughs>